0: And we're going to look at a couple verses here, and uh, several others throughout the message here. Um, But uh, Psalm 139, and uh, if you don't mind standing one more time for the reading of God's Word, um, we'll look at that tonight uh, and read it together. I'll go ahead and read it. You follow along silently. Psalms 139, verses 23 through 24. The Bible says this in verse 23, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts, and see if there be any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. Uh, Lord, thank you for the service thus far. Thank you for the privilege of gathering together. Uh, thank you for the freedom to do so, and uh, for those who are here tonight. And I pray, Lord, that uh, you would use this time to bring about uh, personal revival in each of our hearts. And uh, even in our church. Uh, Lord, I ask that uh, you would um, prepare us. Uh, and uh, as we look in and prepare for taking communion here in a few moments, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. you may be seated. It's tonight, as a church, we're going to do what churches have done uh, since the inception of the church. And that is observe communion, partake of the Lord's Supper. Uh, This was first done, if you recall, the night before Jesus was crucified on the old rugged cross there in the upper room. And since that time, believers have broken bread and passed the cup to commemorate that special sacred night uh, that um, was so very important to us. Well, if you fast-forward a few years from that night that those disciples broke bread and uh, drank that, of that cup, and you fast-forward a few years to when the Apostle Paul was uh, serving the Lord and ministering uh, to the different churches, uh, Paul decided to write to the church at Corinth, and uh, they had uh, quite a few issues in that church, if you recall. There was uh, a lot of things that Paul had to address and rebuke them for to correct, in that particular church, one such issue was uh, the, uh, the fact that they had misused and abused uh, communion in the Lord's Supper. Um, and so he addressed that issue in 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. Uh, we're going to kind of use Psalm 139 here as, as, a, as a launching point. We're going we're to kind of refer back to it. But, but for now, let's go ahead and turn to 1 Corinthians chapter number 11. We are deviating, obviously, from our uh, series through uh, Hebrews chapter number 11 uh, tonight and uh, spending a little bit of time talking about communion. Uh, but 1 uh, first, first Corinthians chapter number 11, uh, the, Apol- the Apostle Paul deals specifically with their misuse and abuse of uh, this uh, particular ordinance called communion or the Lord's Supper, and in 1 Corinthians chapter number eleven, verse twenty-three, he says this: For I have received of the Lord that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he brake it and said, "Take, eat; this is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me." After the same manner also he took the cup when he had supped, saying. This cup is the New Testament in my blood, this do ye as oft as, as ye drink it in remembrance of me. And then he says, For as often as ye eat this bread and drink this cup, ye do show the Lord's death till he come. Wherefore whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. And then verse twenty-eight he says, But let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of that bread, and Drink of that cup, and so we see in this passage the answers to several different questions regarding uh, communion. Uh, One question is, why are we to partake of communion? Uh, Why why should churches do this? And uh, the answer is in uh, verses twenty four and twenty five. We're to do this, of course, because he's told us to. Jesus has uh, in remembrance of me. So we are to do so. in remembrance of the Lord and in observation of Him, in remembrance of Him, uh, and out of obedience to the Lord. Uh, we also uh, learn the answer to the question of who should take communion. And uh, as you uh, study this passage out a little bit, uh, you realize that uh, this was written to a local church filled with saved uh, and baptized believers. And so really we can deduce that uh, those who, uh, who should partake in communion are those who have been saved, have uh, come to Christ and believed on Him for salvation, and uh, who are also in right fellowship with God. Uh, Because he talks about here in in, uh, verse number 29, for he that eateth and drinketh unworthily, eateth and drinketh damnation to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this cause many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Uh, The reason that uh, when he says sleep here, he's not referring to those taking a nap, He's ter- talking about those who had died uh, out of judgment because they, uh, they did not take the communion, um, they did not approach communion with the right heart, uh, and they were very flippant and abused it. So the idea here is that those who should take, partake of communion are those who are saved and in right fellowship with God and others. Uh, also the question, how often should we partake? Uh, is answered here in verse number 26. And it's not exactly answered, but in verse number 26, for as often as you eat this bread and uh, drink this cup. So uh, really, there's no specific frequency mentioned in the Bible. Uh, I know that there's some churches that uh, they observe communion one time a year. Uh, That's the only time they do that. Uh, Sometimes some churches do it every week. Uh, some do it once a month. Uh, we here at Cornerstone Baptist Church do it about once a quarter. Uh, we usually do it around February time. Uh, and then we do it uh, just before Easter, the Tuesday night before Easter, as uh, I believe that that's when Jesus met with His disciples before the crucifixion. Uh, we, so we do it on that Tuesday night. And then uh, we do it towards the end of summer, which is what we're doing tonight. And then also in November around Thanksgiving time. I think that's an appropriate time to uh, partake of communion. But, uh, but there's no right or wrong on that. Uh, I do think that it should be um, at least once a year uh, because otherwise your people are kind of coming a whole year and, or two years and not, not, not observing it. I think that that's, it's healthy to do a, a little bit more often than just uh, once every five years or whatever. Um, but uh, there's no right or wrong. There's no real frequency mentioned in the Bible. But then Paul answers this question, uh, and, and the question is, what should we focus on during communion? And this is we're, we're eventually getting to the message here. Uh, but uh, he mentions that we are to look back and focus on what Christ has done for us. And uh, Jesus really answered that question in, in verses 24 and 25. Um, Take ye, this is my body, which is broken for you, this do in remembrance of me. So as we uh, pass Pass out the, uh, the bread, the, the little cracker uh, this evening. That resembles and is a picture of the broken body of Jesus Christ that was broken for us on the cross of Calvary. And then, and then we're also to remember the blood that was shed for us. In verse 25, the cup is uh, a symbol of the blood uh, that was shed for us on the cross of Calvary. Verse 25, this cup is the New Testament. In my blood, this do ye... As often as oft as you drink it in remembrance of me. So, one of the focuses we're to have as we partake of communion here in a few minutes is to look back and uh, remember the sacrifice that Jesus made for us on the cross of Calvary. It's very healthy for us as believers to remember uh, the different parts of the sacrifice. You know, the the scourging that Jesus went through, uh, the crown of thorns that they put on his head. The Uh, the nails that went through his hands and his feet. And then uh, as he was there on that cross for six hours afterwards, how that they uh, put a big spear and thrust it into his side and out forth uh, therewith came out blood and water mixed together. And it's good for us to remember what Jesus did for us and, and to go through that in our mind. And so that's one of the focuses. But also in verse 26, another focus is uh, looking not just back, but also ahead at uh, what Jesus would do for us down the road as he comes back and, uh, and raptures us out of here. In verse number 26, it says, For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death. Okay, that's looking back. And then here it is, till he come. That's looking forward. So it's good for us and healthy for us on a night like tonight to remember the fact that Jesus is coming back for us and uh, that he has made that promise. But then we're also to um, look within and examine ourselves as well. And verse number uh, 28, it says this, but let a man examine himself. There there needs to be an inward uh, focus. And that sounds kind of bad because we're all about, you know, thinking about others and the Lord. But when we come to communion, it's a time for us to look inside and and to look within and examine ourselves and, and, uh, and make sure that we're right with God and right with one another. It's a healthy spiritual checkpoint in our life, these communion services can be and uh, really should be. I think that was one of the reasons why the Lord established this particular ordinance is so that we would look inside and, 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 and kind of take a moment and say, you know, how am I doing with the Lord? How, how is my relationship with God doing right now? Um, so tonight I want to speak to you for the next few moments about examining ourselves and, and that particular focus. Not that looking back is a, uh, not worthy of, of discussion. We've done that before. And not that looking forward is not worthy of a discussion. Certainly we would maybe take a service to do that. But tonight I, I felt like the Lord wanted us to focus in on making sure that inside we are right with the Lord. And so uh, that's what I want to talk to you about this evening, about allowing God to really search our hearts. Now, first, we need to make sure that we are examining ourselves and making sure that we have a right relationship with God. 2 Corinthians uh, 13 and verse number 5 says, Examine yourselves whether ye be in the faith. Prove your own selves. So before we get into whether whether I'm right with God As a Christian, we need to make sure that first and foremost, we are a Christian. Uh, Paul says, examine yourselves whether you be in the faith. So we're to uh, make sure that we are a believer. So if you're here tonight, my my goal is to not, if you're a Christian, my goal is to not make you doubt your salvation. My goal is also, if you're not a Christian, to make you feel like, oh, I am a Christian because um, make sure that you are saved. Eternity is a very long time. There is no end to eternity. And uh, for those who are not saved, uh, the destiny of the unsaved is a place called hell, and there is no escaping that for all of eternity. So I don't want to cause doubt where it's not due, but I also don't want to bring assurance where there there should not be assurance. So tonight, if you're not saved, it's time to get saved. For those of us who are, I do want to encourage us to not just have a right relationship with God in that I'm part of His family, but I want to make sure that uh, we're right with the Lord in fellowship as well. And so the, uh, the, the text we started with at the very beginning, the psalmist, David, says, Search me, O God. And uh, that's what I want to encourage us with tonight. So first of all, if you're taking notes tonight, we see, number one, the request. The request. And uh, back in Psalm 139, verse 23, we see the request, and that is that God would search us. That God would know us and uh, know our heart and to try us. A lot of times, most of us have Googled something before. And when you Google something, you know, usually it'll tell you, you know, okay, it took, this many milliseconds, and you've got you know a three million eight hundred thousand blah 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 results, and uh, you know you only you only care about like the first two, <laughs> right? Um, well, the, the Lord is able to. He knows everything about us, um, and yet here the psalmist is saying, uh, "Please search me and search me, O God, and know my heart. Please try me and know my thoughts." And then I want you to see if there be any wicked way in me. As you do this search, I want you to find things in my heart and in my life that are not right with you. And I want you to point them out to me. Now the thing is, is the Lord already knows, but sometimes we don't know. And so we need to ask the Lord and to request Him to to do this. And so I'm going to encourage you to request that the Lord searches your heart tonight. And uh, and if there's be if there be any wicked way in you, to make you aware of it, so that you can deal with it, so that you can get right with the Lord. If you uh, turn over to Psalm 26 very quickly, Psalm 26. Uh, this is the only time that David asked for the Lord to search him and examine him, to try him. Psalm 26 in verse number one. Uh, David said, judge me, O Lord, for I have walked in mine integrity. I have trusted also in the Lord, therefore I shall not slide. And then verse number two, he says this, examine me, O Lord. Prove me, try my reins and my heart. I really want you to examine me. Now, most of us, uh, there, there are probably a few of you, and I've asked this question, I think, a couple times before, but how many of you enjoy taking tests? Would you raise your hand? Yeah, some weird people in the audience today. Taking tests is not usually a fun thing for most people to do. They start sweating, you know, as they get ready for it. And I've taken several tests. I've taken, you know, school tests. I've taken, uh, we were talking uh, this morning about bus driving. Um, I was, one of the hardest tests I think I ever took was getting my bus license, uh, to to drive a school bus up in Montana, and I remember studying and Luke helping me study, and study and study. He would he would read me, you know. Okay, w- what's this part? What's that part? And he had the answers, and uh, I would try to remember. I didn't really like I don't like taking tests, uh, but but here David is saying, Lord, I'm ready for this particular test. I want you to examine me, and in, in Psalm 26, uh, really David is innocent. Of course he's not hundred percent innocent and we're going to get to that in a moment. but uh, is, is, in every area of his life throughout his life, there was areas that he was guilty in and again we're going to get to those areas. but in this particular instance, he was innocent and he, so he said, oh, Lord, I want you to look through me and examine me. And really, if you have nothing to hide, which I hope that none of us do, that we would say the same thing, Lord, please examine me, please." Uh, come and try me and, and 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 look through me, search me. This past week, we have been in, in our home uh, playing musical rooms. Um, we're uh, getting ready for um, a college student to come live with us in uh, about a week. And so we needed to move rooms around. And so uh, last Sunday night, um, we had kids in their rooms. And tonight, they're all in different rooms. And uh, than they were last Sunday. And so we've been moving things around all over the house and uh, we're, we were trying to have kind of a nice easy week as we're getting ready to go on vacation. And then we did that. And that, that was the opposite of a nice easy uh, week. But anyway, uh, so we've gone through all kinds of different things that these kids had in their room. Uh, junk drawers, like every drawer was a junk drawer. You know, it's okay to have, you know, a drunk drawer. They have like one non-junk drawer and everything else was junk drawers. And uh, they kind of had to go through all of that stuff under the bed. We moved Seth's bed out and there were, there were bugs, dead bugs on the, uh, in, the, in the carpet just, you know, against the wall. And I'm like, what? This is nasty. Um, and, you know, you don't know that these things happen. But, uh, but it's good to go through and, uh, and make those changes so that you can clean up the areas that have gone for so long that uh, haven't been cleaned. And uh, it, I was thinking about that in relation to our own lives. And, uh, you know, we can, we can kind of keep going through the motions and keep going through the motions. It's good for us to have a time where we say, all right, Lord, we're going to just kind of let you in and look in every nook and cranny in my life. I want you to see every part of my heart. I want you to see my, uh, the things that I dream about, things that I really want to do with my life, the, the bitterness that might be there. I want, you to, I want you to look at everything, the lust that might be in my heart. I, I want you to clean it. I want to be clean. And that's what I think the psalmist was saying in Psalm 139 and verses 23 and 24. Lord, I want to be right with you, so please search my heart. And if there's any wicked way in me, please let me know because I want to I get it all on the table and, uh, and come clean and, and uh, I want to be right with you. And so there was a request here uh, from the psalmist that, he would, he would, that the God would search our hearts. Uh, Psalm 19 and verse number 12 says, Who can understand his errors? Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Uh, The psalmist, uh, David, again, in Psalm 19 is saying, look, there's some secret faults that no one knows about. I'm able to hide it from everybody in the church, everybody in my family. Lord, you know they're there, and I want you to cleanse cleanse me from those secret faults. It's like when you, you know, need to get behind the uh, refrigerator and you pull it out and you're like, whoa, how did it get so nasty back here? And uh, you're like, let's, let's do some serious cleaning. And uh, you get down to it, and, and, and you clean it up. Well, the thing is, is in all of our hearts, there are, all of us have the potential to allow secret faults to uh, creep in. And again, we can kind of push them under the refrigerator, so to speak, and we can uh, hide it from everybody else. Um, but uh, tonight, I want to encourage you to have that same request that Lord Cleanse thou me from secret faults. Now, here's the deal. Again, God already knows what's going on in each of our hearts and lives. He already knows. Psalm 90 and verse number 8, the Bible says, Thou hast set our iniquities before thee, our secret sins, in the light of thy countenance. Uh, They might be secret to everyone else around us, but they're not secret to the Lord. Our secret sins are in the light of thy countenance. Hebrews 4 and verse 13. Neither is there any creature that is not manifest in his sight, but all things are naked and opened under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. So again, we might have it well covered up. And uh, we might have everything, you know, well hidden. But uh, again, we can't hide anything from God because... All things are naked and opened unto him, under the eyes of him with whom we have to do. I think about John, uh, Simon Peter, in uh, John chapter thirteen and verse number nine. This was a great request. Remember, they're there in the upper room right after the uh, they uh, partake of the elements of the of the Last Supper there, and then Jesus does something pretty extraordinary. He he takes a bowl and he gets a towel. And then he begins to wash the disciples' feet. I remember uh, Peter was like, no, 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 you don't need to wash my feet. I was thinking about this. I don't know that I really want any one of you washing my feet. My feet, I'm not exactly proud of my feet. Okay? It's a little, it's a little embarrassing to let people see my feet. And, and I don't know if that's what Peter was thinking there. Like, well, my feet are dirty. Like, I don't want you cleaning that. I don't want I don't want you getting into the, you know, in between my toes and cleaning. That's, no, that you don't need to be there. Remember what the Lord said? Well, if I don't wash you, you have no part of me. And then so Peter said this. Well, don't just wash my feet, wash my head and my hands and wash my whole body. I want to be nothing, nothing. I'm going to hide from you, Lord. And uh, that, that's a great request for us, that I'm not going to try to hide anything. It might be dirty, but guess what? God already knows about it. You're not hiding it from him anyway, so you might as well let him have access to clean it up. Let him have access to come in and get you right with him. So that's the request, and then I want us to see number two here, the repentance, the repentance. Repentance. As we, as we ask that question for God to search our hearts, and, and then He makes us aware of the things in our lives that need to be dealt with, what are we going to do? The encouragement here is for us to repent and get right with God on it. If you turn over to Second Samuel chapter number 11. 2 Samuel chapter number 11. And verse number 26, so the last part of 2 Samuel chapter 11, uh, let me just give you a quick context. David commits sin with Bathsheba, has a, uh, commits adultery with Bathsheba, tries to cover it up, tries to hide it from everybody by killing Uriah, her husband. Uh, of course, that wasn't the first plan. Plan A was to try to uh, bring him home from battle and, and to have him... Uh, go spend some time with his wife, and and uh, that so so that everybody would think that uh, that the baby was Uriah's, but uh, he wasn't willing to do that with everybody out in battle. So uh, David seems forced in his mind to kill David or to kill Uriah. I'm sorry, and so he does this. Um, and then here we go in verse number 26. Uh, the Bible says, "When the wife wife of Uriah heard." That Uriah, her husband, was dead. She mourned for her husband, and when the morning was past, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife, and bare him a son. And so, hey, her Uriah's husband, Uriah dead. Now I can marry Bathsheba, and uh, we can just be one big happy family. But sadly, in verse number, or here's the thing: verse number twenty-seven at the end of it says, "But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord." He might have been able to fool everybody, but God saw everything that he was doing. And so in, in chapter 12, in verse number 1, the Lord sent Nathan unto David, and he came to him and said unto him, there were two men in one city, the one rich and the other poor. And by the way, this is a maybe a, maybe a couple years after uh, the death of Uriah, and, and uh, David and Bathsheba came together as husband and wife. So a couple years go by, and everything Seems to be hunky-dory, um, but then the Lord sends Nathan and he goes through this story. Verse number two, the rich man had exceeding many flocks and herds, but the poor man had nothing save one little ewe lamb, which he had brought and nourished up and it grew up together with him and with his children to eat of his own meat, to drink of his own cup and lay in his bosom and was unto him as a daughter. He came a traveler unto the rich man. He spared to take of his own flock and of his own herd to dress for the wayfaring man That was come to him, but took the poor man's lamb and dressed it for the man that was come to him. And David's anger was uh, greatly kindled against the man. And he said to Nathan, as the Lord liveth, the man that hath done this thing shall surely die. He shall restore the lamb fourfold because he did this thing and because he had no pity. And then Nathan said to David, thou art the man. So instead of David saying, Lord, I have sin in my life, I want to get right with you, the Lord uh, approached David and made him aware. And uh, the first time someone was told, you are the man, it was not in a great context. You didn't really want to be the man in that case. Well, what did David do eventually? Let's jump to verse number 13. David said unto Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. David confesses. Now, 1 John 1 and verse number 9, the Bible says this, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So, tonight, as you request the Lord to search your heart, He makes you aware of some things that are in your life and in your heart that are not right with Him. I want to encourage you to confess it instead of trying to justify it. David could have tried at that moment to say, you know what, I'm the king, I deserve this, you need to leave me alone. You... He could have gotten upset, but instead he, in that moment, decided to confess. There is really nothing that takes the joy out of life quite like unconfessed confessed sin on the conscience. Uh, there was once a pastor who heard Uh, the late Dr. F.E. Marsh tell that on one occasion, and I used this illustration uh, back several months ago on a Wednesday night. Um, Some were here, some were not, so I'm going to go through it again. But he tells on one occasion he was preaching on the question uh, regarding confession here and urging his hearers the importance of confession of sin and wherever possible of restitution for wrong done to others. He was preaching on that. At the close of the service, a young man, a member of the church, came up to him with a troubled countenance. Pastor, he explained, you have put me in a sad fix. He says, I have wronged another and I am ashamed to confess it or try to put it right. You see, I am a boat builder and the man I work for is an infidel, an unbeliever. I've talked to him often about his need of Christ and urged him to come and hear you preach, but he scoffs and ridicules it all. Now I have been guilty of something that if I should acknowledge it to him, it will ruin my testimony forever. What am I to do? He then went on to say that sometime ago he started to build a boat for himself in his own yard, and in this work copper nails are used because they do not rust in the water. These nails are quite expensive, and the young man had been carrying home quantities of them to use on the job. He knew it was stealing, but he tried to Uh, smooth over his conscience by telling himself that the master had so many nails, he wouldn't miss them. Besides, he wasn't being paid all that much that he thought he deserved. The sermon that the preacher was preaching brought him face to face with the fact that he was just a common thief for whose dishonest actions there was no excuse. But he said, I really can't go to my boss and tell him what I have done or offer to pay for those nails that I've used and return the rest. I mean, if I do, he will think I'm just a hypocrite. And yet those copper nails are digging into my conscience, and I know I shall never have peace until I put this matter right. So for weeks, the struggle went on. Then one night, he came to Dr. Marsh and exclaimed, Pastor, I've settled for the copper nails. And my conscience is relieved at last. What happened when you confessed to your employer what you had done, asked the pastor. Oh, he answered, he looked at me, then exclaimed, George, I always did think you were just a hypocrite, but now I begin to feel that there's something in this Christianity after all. Any religion that would make a dishonest workman come back and confess that he had been stealing copper nails and offer to settle for them must be worth having. Dr. Marsh asked if he might use that story in his preaching and was granted permission. So sometimes afterwards, sometime afterwards, he told it in another city. The next day, a lady came up and said, um, Preacher, I have, had, I have had copper nails on my conscience, too. Well, why, surely you're not a boat builder. No, but I am a book lover, and I have stolen a number of books from a friend of mine who gets far more than I could ever afford. I decided last night I must get rid of the copper nails, so I took them all back to her today and confessed my sin. I can't tell you how relieved I am. She forgave me, and God has given, and God has also forgiven me. I'm so thankful the copper nails are not digging into my conscience anymore. This pastor said, I've told the story many times, and almost invariably people have come up to me afterwards telling me of copper nails in one form or another that they had to get rid of. On one occasion, he said, I told it at a high school chapel service. And the next day, the principal saw me and said, as a result of that copper nails story... Ever so many stolen fountain pens and other things have been returned to their rightful owners. If there's things in your heart and your life that needs to be confessed, tonight on this communion service, can't think of a better night to get it right, to get it settled, to get your heart dealt with. Proverbs 28, verse 13, the Bible says, He that covereth his sins shall not prosper, but whoso confesseth and forsaketh them shall have mercy. I think all of us want the mercy, but it's only going to come if we confess and forsake. So tonight, if there's sin in your life, repent. Come clean with God. By the way, He already knows. So you might as well come clean with God. And if you need to come clean with somebody that you have wronged, tonight is the night. Put it all on the table and deal with it. Stop hiding it. Stop procrastinating it. Repent and get right with God tonight. Someone said if we put off repentance another day, we have a day more to repent of and a day less to repent in. Good thought. So we see the repentance. But then number three, let's look at the relief. And for this, let's turn to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. David is confronted with his sin. He confesses and repents and gets right with God. And I want us to see in Psalm 51 is the record of what takes place right after that confession. David confesses his sin to Nathan and to God and and then he goes to, I suppose, his journal and writes Psalm 51. In verse number 3, he says, "...for I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is ever before me. Against thee, thee only, have I sinned, and done this evil in thy sight, that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest, and be clear when thou judgest." And then here in verse 6, he says, "...behold, thou di- desirest truth in the inward parts. In the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom." Purge me with hyssop. I shall be clean. Wash me. I shall be whiter than snow. Make me to hear joy and gladness that the bones which thou hast broken may rejoice. Verse number 8 says, Look, uh, the the bones which thou hast broken, he wasn't talking about literal bones that were broken. He was talking about the, the, the spirit that he had that he was carrying around, the guilt that he was carrying around for all those months and perhaps years. And the joy was gone. Now, as David comes clean, he expresses tremendous relief that this guilt he's been carrying around is finally gone. It's like a huge weight has been lifted off of him now that he finally got right with God. Psalm 32 and verse 3 is another uh, reference that you can just jot down. I'll read it. And this is, again, when David had this sin that he was carrying around, this guilt that he was carrying around for so long. Here's what it says in Psalm 32 and verse 3. When I kept silence... My bones waxed old through my roaring all the day long. For day and night thy hand was heavy upon me. He said, I had this guilt and I knew it was from God that he was trying to get me to come clean and get right with him. It was a heavy weight that I was carrying upon me. He said, my moisture is turned into the drought of summer. He said, that joy, that that, uh, enjoyment of life was completely gone because I had this conviction in my heart that I had done wrong. I had lunch uh, this past week with one of the men in our church, and uh, he told me a story about a preacher that told him about when he was a younger preacher, and they had a lady visit this old country church out in the sticks. Uh, They didn't get very many visitors out there, and so when they did, they really bent over backwards to make them feel really welcome, and and, uh, they kind of went over the top with it. Well at the end of the service the, the, they got through the the service the pastor preached and and, and gave an opportunity at the end to um, you know make a good decision based on what was preached and uh, the at the end of the service the the preacher went to the to the lady and said ma'am th- thanks so much for coming I, we really enjoyed having you and man it's it's always great to have a visitor here come to our church and and uh, we're just really glad you're here now uh, our you know, I hope it's not too much to ask, but uh, will you be planning to come back next Sunday? And she said, nope. And he said, well, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel that Well, why, why not? Why do you feel that way? And she says, I don't want to go to a church where I feel bad. The preacher responded with, well, we did give you an opportunity at the end of the message when you could have fixed that. And uh, his point was, my The preaching, yeah, it's not necessarily to make you feel good and comfortable. Hopefully it causes you to come to a point where you need to do something and and get right with God. So instead of blaming the preacher in the church for making her feel so bad, perhaps she needed to look in the mirror and see the real source of why she felt so bad. It was her. So look, God doesn't want us carrying around the guilt of our sin and have this heavy hand of conviction upon us i mean he came to forgive us our sins but but he also isn't going to make it comfortable for his children when they have been in rebellion either and uh, david had been in rebellion and so he was dealing with this guilt and very quickly let's notice not only the relief that uh, getting right with god brings but also let's look at the restoration in psalm 51 in verse number 12 Um, He says, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation and uphold me with thy free spirit. The guilt leaves in order to make way for joy and the fellowship then with God is restored. Uh, There's perhaps no greater illustration of this than when the prodigal son came home to repent. After being out, living in rebellion, what happened there? Well, we all know, of course, but the father saw him coming home And he had compassion and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. And have you ever thought about how dirty that young man was? How wonderful that young man smelt as he came home? It didn't matter to the father. The father went and hugged his neck and kissed him. The son eventually confessed his sin and repented. And the father said to his servants, notice this, bring forth and uh, this word kind of hit me as I was looking at this story this week. Bring forth the, anybody know the next word? Best robe. Not just the robe, but the best robe. Talk about restoration. And that's what the Lord does for us. Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. See what happened? The young man was Restored. The fellowship between his dad and him was made right again. I wonder if there's somebody in here tonight who, your relationship with God, oh, you're saved, you've been born again, but you've been living in rebellion perhaps, that unbeknownst to anybody else in this room, tonight's the night that you need to come home to the Father. And as you do, He promises to restore you to restore that fellowship that you once had, to bring forth the best robe and put it on you, to make you not just a hired servant, but you're his child, to restore that relationship. And then, uh, very quickly, I want us to look here at number five, the resolve. Uh, Once we have requested God to cleanse our heart and to search and search our heart and, and to show us things that need to, we need to get right. And then we repent, go through that step of repentance. We experience that relief that finally, I'm not carrying this around any longer. And, and then our relationship with God has been restored. And then we can get this resolve in our hearts that, hey, now we're going to be able to effectively serve the Lord and do what He's called us to do. Verse number 13 in Psalm 51 David is uh, restored. He's experienced this relief because of his repentance. And now he resolves, verse 13, Then will I teach transgressors thy ways. Sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now I'm going to teach others and prevent them from going down the same road that I went down. Now I'm going to be uh, uh, effective as I minister to others. And then in verse number uh, 15, he says, O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise. Now I'm resolving to teach others. I'm resolving now to also praise you, Lord. And then in verse number 19, he talks about the sacrifices of righteousness. He resolves to do right. He resolves to do right. So there's a great resolve for those who get truly right with God. So tonight, I'm basically asking you to not be an Achan as well. We here at our church, at Cornerstone Baptist Church, as I mentioned this morning... I want God to do great, mighty things in our church and through our church. But you know what can really hinder it? Yes, if we as a church family don't believe, like Nazareth did, they, they were guilty of that last, uh, we, we talked about that this morning. But also, God can God's work can be hindered if there's an aching, if there's sin in the camp. Remember... Uh, The nation of Israel was going to occupy the promised land, but before they were really able to occupy it, they had to conquer a few cities. The first city they conquered was Jericho, a very difficult, daunting, uh, beyond what they could could conquer on their own. So God miraculously did that. Remember, the the walls of Jericho came crumbling down. You remember that whole story? It was a miraculous uh, provision and, and, and deliverance of God. The next town they come to is Ai, and it is weak sauce compared to Jericho. I mean, it's easy peasy, lemon squeezy, so they just send a few, uh, a few soldiers to go and take care of this, and then well, while we go you know, rest and take a little vacation from Jericho, well, they, uh, they, get, they get whooped. And they come back and, 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 and Joshua's kind of like, wait wait a minute, I, God, I thought you said you were going to deliver everybody into our hands, that uh, you're going to go with us and, and uh, we're basically invincible with you. He says, yeah, but there's sin in the camp. It's hindering what you can do as a church or as a, as a nation. And uh, certainly we can apply this to our church as well. You see, Achan, and I won't get into the whole deal with Achan, but there was sin in the camp. And uh, I, I believe that one person in this church who's living a rebellious life can hinder what this church can accomplish if there's sin in the camp. And so I want to encourage all of us tonight, before we pass out the elements in a moment, can I encourage you to ask God to search your heart, to request that he would show you in your life what needs to be wrong, see if there be any wicked way in me. And then as and then it, it he makes us aware that we would come clean with God and maybe even have to come clean with somebody else in this room or maybe a family member, maybe a coworker, that we get right with God, thoroughly right with God, whatever it takes. Um, before we uh, take the elements tonight, I, I think it would be appropriate for us to sing a, a song in our hymnal. It's page number 57. It's called Cleanse Me. Um, You can go to remain seated, and Brother Blake, if you'd come and lead us in this song. We're going to sing all four verses of this, and then at the end of that, we're going to have a time of prayer, and I want to invite you to have a time where you ask the Lord to show you some things, and perhaps He's already shown you as we've gone through this, this message tonight, some things that you need to really get right with God Maybe it's been years that you've been carrying around something. Maybe it's just happened earlier today. Whatever the case is, I really want to encourage all of us, before we take communion, to examine ourselves and make sure we're in right fellowship with God. Let's sing this song together, all four verses of Cleanse Me.